It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. It is great to see all your faces. I need to stay right in the center. Is that, I'd like write some super glue on my feet. Good to know. Um, I have to say that originally, uh, I mean, I, I've been a part of planning this for uh, many months. I have to say, I really wasn't anticipating planning on being up here at first, and then we were looking for somebody, and the Lord had kind of laid it on my heart, but I wasn't really excited about saying yes, uh, but I am excited to be here now. It's funny how those things work out. I'm glad to be here, and I hope that you can join me in this story of identity, and as we, as we talk about that, because if you were here last night, and we're talking about living in color and this idea, uh, we got kicked off with uh, Avery Danage, this idea of color blindness, and really pressing us to see that see me and see all of me, and part of seeing all of me is seeing my color too. It's not that my color is exalted or exalts me in any kind of way, but it, it's part of who God's created me to be. And there is importance in that because without that, you're not seeing part of who God has fully created us because along with that comes our culture and our heritage. And so I hope to to just do a little bit with this idea of identity because I hope that we can see all of who God's created us to be as we continue to be change agents, as we move to be change agents, and as we are really working to live in. It's not, it's not a one-color world. It's not a two-color world. It's really a mosaic world these days, and uh, what a beautiful thing that is. So uh, part of understanding who I am uh, my identity is to understand my culture and my heritage and my traditions. And so I hope we can talk a little bit about embracing who I am, which then will allow me to live out who I'm called to be. Um, and will somebody keep time for me? Yeah, we don't, we don't need that. That's, that's at the end. That, that'll bring us home. Uh, so... It, my understanding of this, part of the reason I didn't want to talk about it, but I like talking about it, is because my own journey with my identity has been so huge in so many ways. And, and maybe you'll find that you can relate. But the first thing that I know that I have to understand is that my identity really begins with the scriptures and what the scriptures say about me. Because if you know anything about today's world, you feel one way on one day, you feel another way on another day. You feel a third way on an, it just depends on what side of the bed you wake up on. And so what, one thing that I've had to learn is that who I am has to be grounded in the scriptures because no matter on what side of the bed I wake up on, the scriptures are still the same. So if I understand who I am and who God's called me to be, no matter how I feel, the truth is the same. Are you following me? Okay, so I know because of the scriptures, not because I think this about myself, right? Because of the scriptures, the scriptures tell me that I'm called to do great things. The scriptures tell me that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The scriptures tell me that I'm loved deeply by God. The scriptures tell me that I'm created in God's image by a perfect, loving, and big God. The scriptures tell me that I'm beautiful and precious in his sight. The scriptures tell me, here's a funny one, that I'm a peculiar people <laughs> in a royal priesthood. And I'd have to agree, I am pretty peculiar, so I line 
right up there, and I can, I can see that. But here's one thing. As I begin to embrace who I am, and maybe you think of this as you begin to embrace who you are. Maybe you have already done it, but I feel like it's a, it's a day-to-day thing that we work out. I understand that to be it's taking the whole package that God has created. It's taking my color. It's taking my culture. It's taking my heritage and my hobbies, my gifts and my passions, and embracing the good. See, I don't know about you, but have you ever not liked parts of who you are? Have you ever been embarrassed by your own self? Have you ever tried to hide your gifts or diminish your abilities or your skills? Have you ever not liked who you were because others didn't understand that part about you? See, I have to, I have to admit that there's been, there's been times in my own life when I've, those things have not added up for me. I said, this is who I am, but I kind of don't want to show it all. Or this is what I like, but when I like it, the things that people say about me because I like it. Well, let me, let me give you an example. Uh, there have been times when I've been told I'm not black enough. The things that I like to do are white people things. Or that black people don't do that? Are you kidding me? We were just having a conversation about this last night at dinner. I've been told that the way I speak isn't black enough. So then the question becomes, well, who am I? If the things that I like and the way that I do things, if they don't fit in with who you say it is to be black, what they say for you it is to be white, then who are you? Then why did God create me this way? Why did he give me these interests? And what am, I, what am I supposed to do about it? Now for me, I had to come to the, the, the intersection in my life when I had to say at some point, I just had to take the whole package of me and what God gave me and just accept me. And this became my motto, I am who I am and I don't know how to be anybody else. You can take it or leave it, but I am who I am, and I don't know how to be anybody else. If you like me and you're with me, cool. But if you don't, deuces. That's all right. That's all right. I've had to learn that being is okay to be different. And while I understand that may sound real simple and sophomore, sometimes we really... We really aren't comfortable in our own skin. We really can't get with being in our own shoes. But let me tell you, there's something special about that. Being okay with being different. What if you are just who God has called you to be? And you do the things that God has created you to do. And what if no one else gets it? Is that all right? Because I see in the scriptures, in 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 9. It says, But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once 
you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. My earring's going to keep falling. So here's the thing. It's okay to be called out. It's okay to look a little different. In fact, that is part of what the God does to set you apart. You don't need to look like everyone else. And let me tell you, the more comfortable you are in your own skin, the way that a sovereign, perfect, all-knowing God has created you, the more you will live into who you've been called to be. The more you fight it and resist it and push back, the more you will always live in that tension of what am I supposed to do? What am I called to do? How do I, what, where's my place to serve? Because you're always, you're pushing back against that resistance instead of going with the flow. Is anybody hearing me? Okay, okay, I'm just, just checking. So embracing your story, here's the thing, we embrace our story because God gave it to us. And the story doesn't end, it continues. So what draws me to that? I just love the 139th Psalm. It's a psalm that in the summer of 2009, I spent all summer in it, studying it and really making it my prayer. But here's the part that grabs me in relationship to, to what we're talking about. In the 13th verse, the psalmist says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's room. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knows. God really knows. And when he created you, he made no mistake. He made no error. You are wonderful in his sight from the jump. And while sometimes I know, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir in a sense, right? I feel like this is like uh, Sunday School 101. But sometimes it's the 101s that we miss while we're trying to go to 302s. <laughs> Amen? We, we, we miss it. And, and, and maybe we forget it or maybe we never really believed it from the beginning. If what if I never really believed that God loved me when he made me? But I go around trying to live and do what I'm supposed to do. What gives, how, what gives that purpose? How do I believe that there's value in me if I can't see it? If I can't see it in myself? And here's the thing. What you see has to line up with what God sees. I don't have to see it to understand it. I see it because God said it about me. And who are you to question what God says about you? Unless you're God. And sometimes we fake and play it. But we do a bad job in the midst. Let me tell you, because if God says it is true, so then where are we to question why, why would God do that? 
I don't, I don't have any gifts. Everyone says that I really have something to offer in this area or that, but I don't see it. Well, who are you to see it? Why don't you just trust God and keep it moving? Yeah? Yeah? All right. So here's what I'm saying. Embracing who I am means I take the whole package. I take the whole package. And sometimes we don't want to take the whole package. But sometimes that, mean, that means understanding the ins and the outs, and I take it because God has created me that way. And I choose to believe what he said about me. Once I can do that, then I can start to live out who I'm called to be. And that means that I accept what God says about me. I'm his child. He is mine. And God loves me unconditionally. And I bet you if you could get those three things, there'd be a whole lot of stuff solved right there. I'm his child. He is mine. And God loves me unconditionally. Again, I feel like I'm in 101, but sometimes we jump to 302 and we forget 101 and we don't live that out out of the core of who we are. If at the core of who you are, you understand that the love of God in your life is so unconditional that it has the power to, that for you to break down, to heal your self-doubt, your insecurity, your low self-esteem, the disbelief that you don't have anything to offer, living less than an abundant life, it has the power to break through your depression or your obsession and your self-hate. The love of God has the power to heal you from the inside out and makes you as whole as you need to be. The blood that Christ shed for you and for me is nothing but a representation of his love for you and for me. And I guarantee you, if you get just a glimpse of the depth of God's love for you, the healing from the inside out, you have nothing but to do but to embrace who God's created you to be. Anybody hearing me? Y'all looking at me, but I can't tell if you're listening. To accept God and what God says about you means that you already live victoriously. You always come out on top. See, the, the exciting part for me about living with Christ in my life means that I always have the victory in a situation. It means that my situation doesn't predicate what the circumstance would be. It means that God always reigns on top. And whether I can see it or not, or tell it or not, God always comes out on top. And so that reshapes my whole attitude when I go through something. But if I can know that Christ is in my life, and Christ is always working things out for my good, then I have nothing to fear. And that if my identity is rooted in him, I know he's always on my side. Because if God could be for me, then who could be against me? If God is for you, who could ever be against you? There is nobody. There is nobody. So to accept what God says about you means that you live victoriously. You don't live underneath, but you live on top. I live into my gifts, my callings, and my passions because it is a guarantee that you have at least one. God has given you at least one gift. He's called you to at least one thing. And I guarantee you there's some passion stirred up in the inside of you. It just may need to be mixed up. But I live into these things 
because I know that I'm his child, I know that he is mine, and I know that God loves me unconditionally. I live a victorious life. So I choose to trust God more and to trust me less. This is the, this the, that's the easy point. Trust God more and trust me less. Trust God more and trust me less. I think we, we have the tendency to flip it around a bit. Right? We think we have it in control. And if, if and when I need God, then I'll call on you, buddy. I'll call on you. I know how to dial you up when I, when I need you. But the, the question is, when is it that you don't need God? And the, the time when you think you don't need God, you may be at your most arrogant time right there. The fact is that you always need God, and God never needs you. But he's so gracious to invite you into the process. So if you trust God more and you trust yourself less, that means you do believe what God says about you, and you don't question God. He just happens to be the maker and the creator of the universe, a small task at hand. You know, and I'm reminded about Moses in this situation, uh, a man who God had a tremendous call on. And if you recall the story of Moses at all, uh, Moses fought back a little bit. Uh, God had had him to be, he wanted him to be this voice piece in this messenger. And he said, you can do it. I, I want you to carry this message. You can let the people go, free them, right? And Moses like, but Lord, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, Lord. I don't speak well. I got this little speech thing going on and I really can't do it. Now, do you, do you dig that? Like when I see it, I'm like, Moses. Like, you're talking to God, right? Like you're, you're like, you're right there. I mean, you know, with us, we're like, I mean, we're, we're, we're God, we're God, we're here. But, Mo, like, you're, you're talking. You're like, you're talking with the, the God of the universe. You're like, ah, God, uh, I just don't speak super well. But God said it right to you, Moses. But, I, I mean, nobody in this room ever does anything like that, I know. <laughs> You're called, to, you're called to go onto the mission field. You're called to go on this trip and you don't have any money for it. You're called to pursue this degree and your parents said no. They said no, but God placed it in your heart. You're called to be a change agent and you just don't believe how God would use somebody like you. Who are you to question what God would, what God would say and what God would call you to? If he believes enough in you that you can do it, that he's given you everything inside you in order to do it, then what is there to question about doing it? It's as if you trust you more than you trust the God in you who said you can do what he's called you to do. So let me say it again, to, to trust God more and to trust me less. This is what it means to live out who I'm called to be. I trust God more than I trust me. And to do that means to believe what God says about me. And that goes back to embracing who I'm called to be. Because every day, so here's the thing, and I, I at least speak from a, a female women's point of view, right? I'll tell you, sometimes you wake up, you get dressed, you're in the mirror, you're like, ugh. This is what I'm working with today? Ugh. Okay, 
And the women will resonate. Oh, I just feel fat today. I just, uh, I just, I wish I didn't have these, these bumps on my face. Or why? Uh, those bags under my eyes. I think I've had bags under my eyes all my life. <laughs> I guess it was in middle school and I had bags under my eyes. Like, what is wrong with me? Like, ah, uh, I just not feeling pretty. Well, I can tell you this. When I first started at this job, I said, God, what? I said, I first, I wasn't looking to come. I said, God, what? And I can tell you that for the longest time, I wrestled with a deep inadequacy, which brought me to a great humility, which led me to a great dependence. But I had to believe what God had called me to. And I still have great inadequacy. Just because I've gotten the swing of this thing, I am still very inadequate, which forces me to be very humble, which creates me to be 100% dependent. But here's the thing. In the morning, I wake up sometimes and I go, why does my husband like me so much? Because I don't feel like all that he lavishes on me. And here's the thing, sometimes I don't feel like what it is that God says about me, but my trust and my conviction isn't based off my feeling, because sometimes I'm happy and sometimes I'm sad, but what God says about me is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when I trust God, I trust him because he's my anchor and he's my rock, and that is always steady. When you think the God that you thought you knew has gone someplace, he's never gone anyplace. He's still right there. But can you trust him? So I trust God more and I trust me less. And I believe what he says about me because that's, that's true whether I believe it or not. Just like the word of God is true, whether you see it happening in your life or not. Part of living out who I've been called to be means that I go where God calls me to go, even if I go alone. And let me tell you, I've had to go some places alone. Not everyone's always been able to get down with the vision or what I feel the Lord's leading me. Sometimes folks get it later, but sometimes I go alone. But I go knowing that God goes with me. And I go knowing that if he told me to go, it's already done. So, so here's a little bit, here's a little bit about, about my story of my, of my identity and so we can make it all tie in. All my life, all my life felt different, peculiar, before I even knew that that was what it was saying about me. Set apart in God, yes, I understand the scripture, but, but just different. Never felt like I fit in. Always wanted to buy, I would try to buy a friend when I was in middle school. Couldn't even buy one of them couldn't even buy one of them telling you I sat with kids who didn't care a look about me just so I could try to fit in just so I could try to fit in always felt different only black on the sports team all the time why did I like to play tennis I don't know it's a white elitist sport there weren't many very black people where I played <laughs> it was only me we celebrated that too you're the only black on the team like it was a good thing in my family, like, you're the only black. 
You're special. But that just always felt different. I played uh, played sports all my life. Um, I'm retired now, though, because I'm, I'm old. Um, <laughs> but I played sports all my life. Uh, at uh, high school, I played volleyball for a period of time. Uh, my father got me into golf, and I played golf. Two black girls, me and one other girl, Cece. She and I, we never got a lick of playing time. We just went to the course for practice all the time. But we, had, we never... Never did any of that, really. Then I played tennis. I got into tennis. Only black on my team. Just, just little things that I didn't realize. But I would, say he, I would say this parenthetically. Grew up as a kid in a colorblind family. Grew up not seeing color. Kind of taught, taught that. Not seeing color, um, post-civil rights, all that. So just, that was just my perspective. Um, I begin to have a sense of my calling at the age of 19. Any, if, uh, any student going to Jubilee Conference next week, it was Jubilee Conference that changed my life in so many ways. CCO ministry as a college student, but the Jubilee Conference. Uh, I first heard the Lord speak to me at the age of 19 at the Jubilee Conference and had a sense of beginning what he was purposed to call me, uh, what he was purposed in calling me to. The Lord spoke to me so clearly. It was confirmed right away. Just significant, significant in the calling of who I was grew up, and I say it wasn't until my early 20s, had this sense of color more, this sense of racism, injustices, uh, and then the cultural identity of my own self. Because again, grew up a little bit being called like an Oreo cookie. Again, the neighborhood I lived in, only black family. Um, so just, just kind of blinded. And maybe not necessarily a bad way, I had to come into it. Not, but just kind of blinded. At some point, I recognized that I just had a different set of experiences in life. Um, these, what I would classify now as a multicultural experience um, in my early 20s. I, I have to say I'm super excited. Uh, a pretty small family, uh, and uh, most of them made it up for this conference. My mom and my brother, my brother lives abroad, but he's in the States for a pretty extended period of time visiting and he and my mom flew up. And I have to say, it was my brother who, who really, a lot of me, this introduced me to such a multicultural experience. First time, I'll never forget, probably uh, my mom nervously sent me up to New York City on the train at the age of about 14 or 15. She's shaking her head, and uh, <laughs> she was so scared. <laughs> and um, 14 or 15 in high school, and my brother, oh my gosh, we ate at every ethnic spot we could eat at that weekend. It was the coolest experience with my big brother. We had dim sum, like authentic Chinese for lunch, and Indian for dinner, and Korean as a snack, and I took Thai back on the train that night, and uh, soul food on Friday night. It was, it was just really cool. It was, it was a sense, though, that I learned to eat with chopsticks when I was 14, because my brother has a heavy Asian influence in his life, and I only eat Chinese food with chopsticks now. But I did that when I was 14, and, and I practiced, and I came back home, and I had my chopsticks, and I was just <laughs> practicing. I guess I thought everyone did that, but not, not so much, right? Not, not so much. Um, I had the opportunity to go to Japan when I was 19. I did some traveling for tennis as a teenager. Just these experiences, and the fact that I grew up much in a way where I was the minority gave me this experience that became different from many of my peers later in life. 
my minis- the, the first ministry, when I kind of left home and God called me away, I joined the CCO, I just finished my master's, uh, I, I went to Philly. And where I'm from is a little similar to Beaver Falls in this weird way, because I always said I was never going back to Calvert County, which is like a rural part of Maryland. And um, if you know anything about me, I probably never said that I'd come to Beaver Falls. I was like never coming to Geneva. I mean, like I knew a little bit about these places. Isn't the Lord funny? Like, ha, 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 gotcha. Um, and here I am in a place that is somewhat similar to the place that I grew up that I said, I'm never coming back to the country. Let me tell you, I am a country girl at heart. I moved to Philly, and it was some of the roughest two or three years of my life. Um, and I didn't care. Like, when I moved, I totally went. I, I want to go wherever the Lord calls me to go. And I live uh, three years in Philly, two and a half years in, uh, by myself in a Puerto Rican neighborhood. Uh, it was just a fast pace of life that I... It's just different for me. It was just just different. And I uh, had the opportunity to do a lot of ministry with, with young people, high school students in particular, in the Philadelphia School District. And it was hard. And it really wore on my heart. Um, I, I, I battled with many inadequacies. What do I have to offer these, these young people from the city? Because I... Some of their life experience far exceed mine. At that t- time, I was 23, 24 years old, and these, these young people are in high school. Um, but here's the thing. Here's one of the things that I learned about myself. I feel so different. It really, stir- it really stirred it up for me. I feel so different. And I would go into the classroom. So I would go into these classroom settings. We were essentially a faith-based organization contracted by the school district to share these messages about leadership, character development, <coughs> healthy relationships, pregnancy preven- prevention, abstinence. Here I was teaching this curriculum to these young people. And I go in, classroom, super disruptive. I go, you have to like gain control of a classroom. I'm pretty non-confrontational. My mother is not non-confrontational. She would say otherwise. But I'm pretty non-confrontational. I take the disposition of my father in this way. I have to gain the control. So, excuse me. Excuse me. She had, my mother has this very voice that commands your respect and your attention. And people say I have that voice. But excuse me, I'm all soft in country. And I say, uh, good morning. My name's Kathy Kinzer. And they start to snicker. They start to snicker. You know what? I became very aware that my name is Kathy. And people will think of that as a white name. And I became very aware. They come up to me, Miss. Miss, that's what they'll call you, out of respect. Miss, uh, you're not from around here, are you? Uh, you sound like you from, you know, you, like a white suburb or the country. I said, what's wrong with my slang? <laughs> you just, you don't, you're, n- you're not from around here. It was the f- first or second time I just became very, very, very aware of people's perceptions of me. And it was very hard. That's how I developed the model. I am who I am. And I don't know how to be anybody else. Um, very aware. It was... It was I was almost embarrassed to talk because I knew when I opened my mouth, once they took the time to get to know me, and that's, that's, 
I didn't know what I had to offer these. Particularly, I'd started to develop a ministry with young women and mentoring. Like, what do I have to offer? I have some experiences that may overlap a little bit, but I'm from the country. Things are slow. There was like one gang killing when I was in high school, but that was about it. Like, I don't, I don't know what it means for my parents to have left or be on the streets. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means to not have books in the classroom. Um, but what I did is I learned to love these students. And I learned that love transcends it all. And when they could find that they could trust me, I had have, I have won their heart in a sense. They still would make fun of the way I spoke. Uh, but I had to say, well, I am who I am. And you can either take me or leave me as it is. I had to embrace who I was, because I couldn't change the fact that where I grew up, I couldn't change the fact that I came from a very polished family. I couldn't change that fact. I don't, you want me to talk different? I don't even know how to do that. Like, I am who I am. Um, and so, somewhat of a multicultural experience, right? Um, can you put the slide up for me? So, here's one thing. That's me. Can you tell that little brown face under that hi hat? That's me in a kayak in 2008 in the Florida Everglades. And uh, one of the funnest experiences I've, I've had. Uh, my first kind of outdoors trip, um, camping, my first time kayaking. Uh, most people will say that black people don't do this. Well, you're at least looking at one who does <laughs> and likes it. But let me tell you, <laughs> it may be the only one, I don't know, but black people should do it more because it is, it's a different set of experiences, I, I know. I know, someone's thinking, but that's so white. But see, that's, that's the thing. That's, it's a different set of experiences. Um, I went on this trip, and I was the only black person on this trip. Go figure, right? Because black people don't camp, and there's bears in the woods and all kinds of stuff. I know. Uh, and I felt very uncomfortable. I'm probably making you uncomfortable as I'm making all these jokes about me. Right? But I felt very uncomfortable because there's no other people who do this. Like, I don't know, I don't know anybody. I don't know any other weird people. Like, and John Wallace, I know you like, rather this, yeah, yeah, I understand, man. Um, uh, 2010, this is a picture in the Georgian Bay in Canada. Uh, so let me say this, very uncomfortable. I'm like, I like this. This is fun and it's exciting and I like it. But I am so uncomfortable being one of a few black people who do this stuff. And then black people come back and they say, where were you? And I was like, kayaking in Florida. And they're like, are you black? <laughs> I mean, literally, they say this stuff to me. It played with my identity. Well, who am I? And then why has God given me these things that I like if I seem to be ridiculed by it? As if I don't fit in. Here we go with my own people. Two years later, I had the opportunity to lead an outdoor trip with college students for 30 days in the wilderness in Canada. <laughs> Guess we didn't see people who looked like them for a while. <laughs> this woman. Big bear. Big, we saw a bear. I should have brought, I should have put that picture up. There was a bear. We were living right next door to him. Um, it was a great experience, but I had to be comfortable with who I was. 
Here's where I got comfortable. Last summer, a bunch of women and I, we went to Utah on a girls' trip, hiking. Uh, this is at uh, uh, Arches National Park. And uh, not only were we hiking, yeah, yeah, multicultural, right? Rock climbing. That was my first experience rock climbing. Only crazy white people do that. Well, there's a few crazy black people someplace in this world who does it, and you're at least looking at one of them. <laughs> I am who I am, and I don't know how to be anyone else. Why has God given me these experiences? Why has God given me these things that I like? I don't know. Maybe I'm called to be a bridge builder between people and cultures. I've kind of accepted that piece. It's a hard piece to accept, let me tell you, because you're somebody like this who often tends to be by yourself. Or you have people say, are you sure you're black? Honestly. Honestly. And in all my confidence, I have to say, yeah. And I love being black. That doesn't fully define who I am, but it is a part of me. You can't see that picture super well, at least I can't from up here. But who am I? I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's been a hard one for me to accept at times, too. Uh, that's me back in my home church in Maryland uh, a couple years ago. I was saying something about shake the devil off or something. I got excited about Jesus. Yeah, behind all this, this hair is actually a big afro. <laughs> and um, hopefully you're kind of, you know, you'll be learning about dynamics. Let me just say one thing. In the African-American community and part of the culture, hair is a big deal, particularly for women. And uh, going natural was a ginormous deal, especially in my family. Um, I've transitioned my hair in many ways, and if it were to ever, I mean, it's, it's a lot, but, but this was a big part of my identity in the sense of not being who I am, but being comfortable in who I am. And uh, sometimes I just let it, let it all hang out. Yeah, like I said before, I played tennis uh, as I was helping to coach back at a small school outside of Philadelphia, and I had to be okay with the sport that I played. I am who I am, and I don't know how to be anyone else. Um, I have to say I'm a, I'm a daughter and a sister to these beautiful people. Uh, almost a year ago, got married to that man who embarrassed me a, a little bit ago. Uh, that's my father on the left, my mom and my big brother who are here. Um, and real excitingly, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a newly uh, wife. And so I, I am who I am, and uh, I don't know how to be anyone else. And there was a period of time when I would say I wasn't comfortable with who I was. But it was who I was. And I always would say that I'm not comfortable. Sometimes I'm not comfortable in my own skin, but I don't know how to be anybody else. And so I'm going to uh, trust the Lord to take me there because that's who he's called me to be with this kind of multicultural experience or these things that just sometimes people don't understand. But here's the thing, you embrace who you are that will give you the power to live out who God's called you to be because who God's called you to be is the same yesterday, today. You may wake up feeling different, but his word is steady and it's strong and it's consistent. So be encouraged on, to the, on today.
as you, you work through your identity, as we work through this colorblind piece, and hopefully as this evening we press into conversation about race, racial reconciliation, be encouraged as you uh, hopefully get to hear some good folks speak uh, this morning and this afternoon, and uh, we continue to go from conversation to conduct. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for who you've created us to be. Father, we, uh, we ask that you would continue to show us who we are, to make us comfortable with who we are in you. We, Father, we, uh, we seek to be your light and your salt in this place. So be glorified by our actions. Um, and Father, be glorified by this time. We ask that you would speak to us. We ask that our hearts would be open. And uh, Holy Spirit, we trust what you're doing in this moment. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.